break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back on The Punch-Out, 12th of October, 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show and plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about low-wage workers and their lack of access to sick days here in the United States. We're going to be talking about social movements facing repression in South Africa. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we want to start with the story of children jailed in Tennessee for a non-existent crime. Three police officers went to an elementary school in Tennessee and arrested four black girls. One girl fell to her knees. Another threw up. Police handcuffed the youngest, an eight-year-old with pigtails. Their supposed crime? Watching some boys fight and not stopping them. Yes, that's a true story. Those are the words I just read of one of its authors, Ken Armstrong from ProPublica. ProPublica and WPLN have recently released a new report detailing the outrageous juvenile justice policies of Rutherford County, Tennessee. That's where Murfreesboro is. The story really highlights how forces that often seem impersonal due to their broad systemic nature play out on the ground in very personal ways. The case in question took an even wilder turn because the young girls were actually charged in this incident with a crime that doesn't exist, which just gives you some indication into how absurd Rutherford County's juvenile justice system truly is. Their so-called Filtering system, quote unquote, that they operate there, locked up 48 percent of children whose cases came before the juvenile court. The statewide average in Tennessee is five percent. In fact, the situation was so bad, a federal court ruled that the juvenile court there in Rutherford County had overstepped in 191 cases and all of them keeping kids locked up for far too long. The judge, the only juvenile court judge in the county, Donna Scott Davenport, when asked about some of these arrests, stated, quote, was I in violation? Heck yes. She herself noted that about half the violations involved a kid cussing in court. Nothing else. Just that. And she sent them to jail. Davenport, the only person to hold her position since it was created in 2000, says that her work is, quote, God's mission, end quote. And her entire philosophy is that jail is good for kids, a way to discipline them and put them on the right path. Now, of course, we know statistically that's totally false. For instance, the National Institutes of Health noted in regards to just the health effects of youth imprisonment alone that, quote, existing literature on the longitudinal health effects of youth incarceration suggests that any incarceration during adolescence, any incarceration during adolescence or young adulthood is associated with worse general health, severe functional limitations, stress-related illnesses, and a higher rates of overweight and obesity during adulthood. In fact, juvenile imprisonment has been going down since the 1990s as its detrimental effects have become more widely known. And perversely, juvenile courts are supposed to be more humane alternatives in terms of conflict resolution. 
But as you can see, not in Rutherford County and not under Donna Davenport, who once said of herself, quote, I know I'm harsh. I'm very harsh. Davenport isn't exactly alone in a report by Lynn Duke, head of the jail to county commissioners. Commissioners joked that the juvenile jail was like a hotel, but without the continental breakfast. That's exactly what they said, that it was like a hotel, but without the continental breakfast. And another one of these commissioners once said it would be, quote unquote, cool if the youth jail could become a, quote unquote, profit center. Remember that one, the profit center one. So the overall attitude in the county is similar to that of Davenport, at least among the elected officials. And Davenport herself also, by the way, urges parents to drug test their kids frequently and promote sort of a leave it to beaver style image as the preferred form of family life. But also in the county, there are judicial commissioners who can issue warrants. And it was one of those who came up with the fake charge that these girls were charged with. So it actually was actually more than girls. Ultimately, about 11 people ended up being charged in this. But again, it's a countywide affair. The county even has stated procedures on when to lock kids up based on them being quote-unquote unruly and quote-unquote true threats, but defines neither term. Ultimately, in the incident we started off this segment with, as I mentioned, 11 kids were ultimately arrested, four were jailed, and now all have received settlements for the wrongful treatment they received. None of the officials involved received anything more than a few days suspension, and Davenport is still heading up the court. And that's really part of a pattern of a total lack of accountability. As Ken Armstrong noted, quote, the Tennessee Department of Children's Services licensed juvenile jails and inspected Rutherford County's jail every year. Not once did it flag the filter system. In fact, he detailed that the reports contained anecdotes like, quote, there was very little graffiti and that it was, quote, neat and clean. A federal judgment forced Rutherford County to stop using the filtering system on their own kids, but they didn't stop locking kids up in a big way overall. In fact, they just pivoted to other counties. They now take kids from surrounding counties at the charge of $175 a day. They actually have a promotional video with saxophone music in the background. As ProPublica notes, quote, 39 counties now contract with Rutherford, according to a report published this year. So does the U.S. Marshal Service, end quote. So when you hear about American justice, just remember, it also includes, among other terrible incidents, what you just heard. The Shack Dwellers Movement in South Africa organizes tens of thousands of people to fight for the right to decent housing and a decent standard of living, something that's often elusive for millions of South Africans that remain mired in poverty decades after the end of formal apartheid. The movement, often referred to as Abahali, whose acronym is ABM, is over 100,000 strong and is at the forefront not just of demanding the right to housing, but also land occupations on unused land that build settlements for people to live in. And the settlements raised on these occupied lands consist of makeshift shacks built with the labor of its own members and connected to supply lines for water and electricity without any assistance or permission from the government. Many of them are complete with communal poultries, childcare facilities, churches, and political schools where ideological training takes place. ABM is a huge embarrassment internationally to the ANC-led government because they reveal the total failure of said government to provide adequate housing or jobs to tens of millions of South Africans that they claim to be their base. As a result of this, ABM faces significant repression from forces associated with the ANC, which, by the way, stands for African National Congress, and various capitalist interests that are allied with the ANC and the thugs they hired to intimidate their opponents. And recently, this has taken a major form in serious police and court harassment of the Akina commune, which is run by ABM. As the movement noted in a statement, quote, just under two weeks ago, 
Three of our comrades from the E. Kanana commune were released from prison after being held for six months on bogus charges and repeatedly denied bail. A week ago, all charges were dropped against Mahefeli Bonono, Mafiwe Gasela, and Sinico Mia, all of whom are also participants in the commune. Mia had spent six months in prison, while Bonono and Gasela were granted bail after two weeks in prison. Both cases were proven to be trumped up, and the arrest and imprisonment to have been based on lies by state witnesses. So it was a big victory there, so it seemed. However, last Friday, the movement noted in a statement, quote, on Friday last week, three women were arrested by the notorious Cato Manor police station. All three have made huge contributions to the building of the commune and played a very important role in keeping the commune going while other leaders were in prison. The three were charged with assault with the intention to commit grievous bodily harm in relation to an incident in June last year. At that time, a woman associated with the local ANC attacked a migrant worker with boiling water. and The three intervened, end quote. And now, of course, they are being repressed. So they went after the first line leadership of the commune. We're not able to make those trumped up charges stick. And now they are going after a second layer of leadership. Clearly, the authorities are trying to do everything possible to disrupt the leadership of this commune project and the movement more broadly. Local elections are coming up next month in South Africa, and the ANC is going out of its way to claim it's doing a great job addressing exactly the issues of poverty that ABM clearly shows that the ANC is doing a very bad job of addressing. So no wonder the repression continues, but so does the struggle. The struggle of the shack dwellers in South Africa is a bit of an avatar for the direction of the country in a post-apartheid era. Which direction is it going to go? Towards equality and inclusiveness, or towards a deepening of the brutal, humiliating inequalities and injustices that have dogged the nation since the formal end of apartheid in 1994. Just about everyone would agree that workers deserve paid sick days. Perhaps the only people who don't agree are the bosses, at least some of them, charged with granting the days off. The U.S. has no federally mandated sick leave policy, which means there's a patchwork of policies by different state and local governments and individual businesses. As you might expect, low-wage workers tend to get the short end of the stick here. As the Economic Policy Institute points out in some new research, quote, 95% of the highest-wage workers had access to paid sick days. Only 33% of the lowest-paid workers are able to earn paid sick days. They also note that, quote, low-wage workers are also more likely to be found in occupations where they have contact with the public, think early care and education workers, home health aides, restaurant workers, and food processors, end quote. So really, while this is, of course, about the quality of life of the low-wage workers themselves, it's also about how the capitalist desire to exploit people unceasingly is a major public health risk. Overall, among workers, EPI also notes a few other trends, including that, quote, The latest BLS data, that's the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the latest BLS data also shows that full-time workers are more likely to have access to paid sick days than part-time workers, 87% versus 48%. Workers in larger establishments are more likely to have paid sick days than workers in smaller establishments, 91% of workers in establishments of over 500 workers have paid sick days as compared with 68% of workers in establishments with fewer than 50 workers. Union workers are also more likely to be able to stay home when they are sick because they are more likely to have access to paid sick leave. 87% of unionized workers can take paid sick days to care for themselves or family members, while only 76% of non-union workers can say the same. 
And EPI also notes that there are significant regional differences, saying, quote, the share with access to paid sick days ranges from only 67 percent in east south central states composed of Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky and Tennessee up to 95 percent in the Pacific states, California, Oregon and Washington. And they also note that in a range of states, including Michigan, Tennessee, Kansas, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Louisiana, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Maryland, among others, all have state laws that prevent localities from enacting paid time off policies of their own. Really amazing when you think about it. The richest country in the history of countries. Millions of workers don't have access to one paid day off. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthrough news. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom.